Here's your almanac for tilling the cultural soil with the conversations we plan with humor, faith, and wisdom. Here's your hosts, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Carmen LeBurge, and I'm Nat. Welcome to The Till. Welcome to the second episode of The Till. Peter Kapsner and Nat Becker are here in the house. Welcome, gentlemen. It's great to be with you again, Carmen. Episode two. Hard to believe here we are. We made it through one. It's always Happy wonderful. Thanksgiving week. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I mean, and I... So that's going to be our theme for today's show. Is that good? Yeah, I love that. You know, as we sort of tap into this whole agricultural kind of metaphor from time to time on the till, sort of in the background of our conversations, there's obviously with Thanksgiving, you know, it's a pretty easy connection to the idea of abundance and harvest. And and I'm assuming that some of your Thanksgiving Day tables this week might be filled with a bit of abundance. It's not true for everybody, but I'd be curious in thinking about it, uh, what your Thanksgiving Day traditions are as we celebrate that national holiday this week. I know, I mean, Carmen, you're in the South. I don't know how things are different there than they are up here in the North, but certainly in my small German community, Thanksgiving Day was celebrated with uh, a mixture of mashed potatoes and corn. You bring those two things together and mix them up with a little bit of gravy, and it's it's a little taste of heaven. Uh, followed by usually uh, cribbage, of all things, was part of the tradition growing up. A, a mean game of cribbage. I don't know if I should say that we would uh, play for about is a mashed penny. Potatoes, is mashed potatoes and corn like an appetizer? Well, no, it's just part. I mean, obviously, there's turkey gravy stuffing, like all of that kind of oh, stuff, oh, right? Oh, but I'm just oh, saying oh, that so there's there like, like a, a unique. Meal. Yeah, like, I got it. I've come to find out later that there's a lot of people in this world that have never tasted the wonder of mashed potatoes, maybe and, and separately, of course, but not mixed together, mashed potatoes and corn. And so by the time you've just jammed all of this into your stomach, then it's time for a mean game of cribbage. We probably pay, play for a penny or a nickel a hole and uh, aunts and uncles and all that good stuff. And we have, we have a pretty good time. But I don't know if that matches any of your Thanksgiving so this Day is, traditions. This is not. I am gonna. I'm gonna rock your world here. It, this is not a Thanksgiving tradition at my house, but yeah. it is something that uh, I have learned since becoming a LaBerge. Okay. Um, I can one up your your mashed potatoes. You can. Corn. There's no way you can at this point. They they, they serve what they call corn gravy. Now, okay, all, I'm intrigued. All all corn gravy is is mashed potatoes covered with cream style corn. <laughs> So the corn is in there, and the gravy is created by the cream style of the cream style corn. Oh, gosh. So, that feels like the Shadowlands version of what I'm talking about right now. That's like seeing Narnia from afar. That's not even real. Cream from a can? Or I'm talking well, homemade gravy. Oh, my word. I'm, I'm scandalized right now. Nat, what have you got for us on well, the Thanksgiving theme? Okay, so corn. We, we have corn bake. That's like one of our Corn staples. bake. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Corn I don't stuffle. Even know what this is. Corn what? souffle. It's all the same thing. Corn it, bake. It's basically it's awesome. like corn and I suppose there's other stuff in there, but it's mostly corn. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, I can tell you how to make it. It's called corn in other parts of the country be called corn souffle or be called corn pudding or be called corn scuffle if you're in South Texas. Um and so it has eggs in it and cheese and onion and and corn. And it creates this like fluffy side dish. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I have Incredible. never run across Delicious. this dish ever. But, you know, there's a lot of Thanksgiving Day traditions I think I've never heard of. When we got married, uh, Hallie's, uh, my wife's version of Thanksgiving Day, too. I don't know if it included in yours, but was sweet potatoes with a topping of marshmallow. Is that something that you guys have Dude, seen? Dude, that's everywhere. I've that's, had that's it. So, hey, I was that's, so, that's hey, now I'm feeling thing. terribly insecure about my Thanksgiving Day traditions. Are you familiar with green bean casserole? Do you know what I that do, is? I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't realize I lived such a deprived childhood until you said that. You, your quote was what? Dude, that's everywhere? I, I had never seen that at a Thanksgiving Day table before. I was a sheltered kid, though. There's no question. Mm. 
So okay, I um I actually do have a Thanksgiving tradition to share with you. Great, but it's going to take a minute. So I mean, do you have? Can I have a minute? I a think so. Minute? Yeah, it's it's your the till as much as it's mine. Okay, so um, the signature dish on our Thanksgiving table is so good that every time that I'm asked about it, people are like, I need the recipe. And so I just feel like I should just give the recipe as I'm describing it. Yes. So um, stuffing is obviously an essential part of Thanksgiving, but it's only stuffing if you actually stuff it in the bird. It's dressing otherwise. So I'm going to call this dressing because we cook it in a dish, not inside the bird. And so it's if it's in the bird, it's stuffing. If right. it's in, if it's the same thing, but it's in a pan, it's dressing. So anyway, so um, my mom makes dressing that is the the basis of which is sausage. Mm, really, and I know, I know. And so it starts with the standard combination of of onions and celery, um, and it has all of the uh, the tasty, delicious um, herbs that are supposed to go in stuffing at Thanksgiving, and the requisite you know bag of herbed Petridge Farm stuffing mix. Like, right, you have all of that, but you also have two eggs. And an entire package of like Jimmy Dean sage. That's the important part here. The sage sausage. Mm-hmm. And all of this is then mixed together and baked. And um, and and you the most important part is that you completely saturate it with chicken stock before you put um, it in the oven. This actually does sound pretty good. And I'm just telling you, it's I'm it's the, it's like the crack on our Thanksgiving. Oh. We have all those other sides, oh. but this one is the one everybody wants leftovers of. Mm-hmm. So does it ever and, end before it gets to the next person? I mean, is somebody oh, ever no, no, like no. left I out? make two you giant make pans. There's always tons of leftovers. And here's the trick the day after. You get your waffle iron out. You take a you take a scoop <laughs> no. of this. You take a scoop of this. You put it in your waffle iron and you make a stuffing waffle that you, you top oh. with your leftover mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh and it's unbelievable next day breakfast. I, I absolutely want to live in the South. We do nothing See, like that. Right? This is, I mean, I like the culinary decisions made, you know, in the South are <laughs> so much stronger than they are in the North. There's no question. We we can make a waffle out of almost anything. I love that idea. I love that idea. Well, that is abundant. I think you know more than more than most on that. I, you know, and obviously this is the theme of the day. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody listening on on this. And I'd be curious. Uh, we talk a little bit about some of how these different agricultural metaphors connect with seasons of life. And when I, Nat, I'll ask you first. When you hear the word abundant. What sort of comes in your mind? Is it, Have you been through seasons of abundance in your life? Uh, are you in such a season now? Have you never really sort of experienced that kind of thing? I'm, I'm sort of curious. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, straight off, the word abundant just, uh, you know, sparks words or feels feelings of a lot. Like, it just is a lot of something. And I suppose, I don't know that I've ever particularly felt, like, very abundant. But uh, I think looking back on my entire life, I have always had an abundance of everything we've never been short on you know any resources i mean it's a little bit matter of perspective right Right, in terms of you know what what somebody feels like they are in lack might feel like a king spread for somebody else that's never experienced it Mm -hmm. carmen abundance so we say that word what comes to mind cornucopia yeah it's like giant like overflowing cornucopia like that's the visual image that comes to mind when you say the word abundance uh, I, I remember having a conversation, um, this dates back several years now, um, with a person who clearly had what I will describe as a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. And I was trying, I was genuinely trying to understand um, because they were operating out of a life experience where they, there was literally never enough of anything. So where I am often operating out of a similar place that Nat has described, a sense of um, 
there's always enough or more than enough. In fact, enough to share. Mm -hmm. And that is a perspective, but it's also a reality. Um, And there are people who live with so little that the resources available to them at any given moment are so meager that they find themselves in what I will just describe as the scarcity mentality. But I have witnessed other people who have plenty and live with a scarcity mentality anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that would be, you know, I think that in terms of thinking about the way, um, the way I approach life, I am definitely a, there is always enough and there's always enough, not only to go around, but to share and if I have a sense that there is not enough, then let us together make more. Yeah. It's not as if there's mm-hmm. a limited amount. And if you get a big piece, then I am going to get a smaller piece. And so I need to compete with you um, to be sure that, you know, we either both get an equal piece or maybe I get a bigger piece than you get. Like, that's not my mentality. There, There is always enough and there is always the possibility of creating more. In order for everyone to have uh, sufficiently. Well, and I think that scarcity mentality you referenced too, I I think it's it's insidious in in terms of how it creeps up on us. And I think it almost always comes in my life when I start doing the very unfortunate comparatives of what other people have that I don't have. And, And it's as soon as I start into that comparative mindset that this person has maybe their kids are healthier or they're driving a nicer car or they seem to, you know, just have more time somehow in their life or, or they're, I'm not sure what it all is, but that scarcity mentality is, causes me to look at my own life and say all of the, and see all of the lack that I have as opposed to uh, an abundance mentality that I, I don't know if you, if either of you two have been down to a place like Haiti or the Dominican Republic or some of these places where there's just such impoverished communities. I haven't, I went to Panama as a child and saw some of it, but I didn't get a chance to really take in the meaning of what life is like when you truly have objective lack, when it's not a comparative lack, it is just, there's a lack. But I know my son had a chance to go to Haiti a couple summers ago, and we have some dear friends of ours that have adopted children from Haiti. And, and what they come back with that I really want to experience sometime in my life is the people who are in decidedly amounts of lack when it comes to food and clothing and shelter, and yet they don't have a scarcity mentality. It doesn't mean there's not suffering. It doesn't mean there's not turmoil. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be aid and help and sustenance coming. But the people that come back consistently say there is a happiness that is birthed out of simplicity and and out of a sense of abundance, even in what we would look at and say, how could you possibly even smile given what your day is likely to hold today? And I don't know what the secret of that entirely is, but I think there's some some real wisdom for, uh, I think, even in America with all of that we have, most people probably live in some measure of a scarcity mentality. So a couple of things come to mind as you are um, as you are sharing that. And I think that the the primary word maybe is the word um, perspective. So maybe we will just pause for a moment and consider, um, do I have a perspective on life that recognizes that in in Christ and in God, there is not always there is not only always enough there is more than enough yeah it's funny when you ask it that way carmen the pause it reminds me of what i heard a pastor once say 
And just thinking about that always enough is it goes back to, again, what we've been suggesting is we spend so much time looking up the ladder and thinking about if I can just get to that next rung of the ladder, then I will have the abundance and the and the peace and all of what I'm looking for. He said, you know, if you just spend a little bit of time looking down the ladder, it tends to generate in you a, a heart of gratefulness and a heart of compassion as opposed to a heart of lack and a, and a heart of want. And, you know, Nat, you're obviously... Um, quite a bit. It's just sort of starting out, getting out into the world. And I don't know what your perceptions are in terms of what makes a successful life, but I've got to believe that a lot of young people are thinking, I've got to get up that ladder. I've got to start taking some steps forward if I'm going to have any kind of metrics of success, according to American culture anyway. Oh, definitely. I mean, the whole college experience is tracked so that you get your next internship and you pass your classes and you get out in the world and you move up the ladder and gives you your best shot at moving up. And even whether whether or not you, A, can do that or B, want to, just culturally, that's the direction you get shifted. It's a climb up that ladder. And to fight that is really difficult because it's to fight against all your peers who aren't, they're not, it's not like it's bad. It's just a mentality that's really difficult to swim against. And Carmen, I know, I mean, you, you share often and openly about having a son that has special needs and, and that has to sort of reveal the falsity and the illusion of all these crazy metrics of abundance and, and how we think of abundance versus what actual abundance in God's kingdom can look like. So the college conversation is interesting because his sister is 16. And so she's looking at colleges she's a junior in high school. We're, we're thinking about that. We're thinking toward that. And as a part of that conversation that we have frequently, we make sure we say out loud, not everybody goes to college and it's okay. Uh, Not everybody, that's not, you know, that's certainly not going to be the reality for Matthew. Um, And so when we, when we talk about um, abundance, when we talk about a full life, a life that is full and beautiful and um, rich, we're not necessarily using the definitions that the world is using when we are speaking those terms as Christians. And so to have a full life, to have the real life, to have the abundant life that Christ, you know, came to give us, to grant us, um, is going to look different for each and every person. And I think that the, uh, what you guys are pointing to, maybe the word that we ought to be lifting up here is covetousness. There's a reason Mm -hmm. that it's on the list of the big 10, um, because when we start coveting against our neighbor, we're really coveting against God. Mm. We're really saying, you know, well, God hasn't given me what God has given them. So, you know, I'm coveting against God when I start wanting something or I think imagining that I want that I want something or deserve something or need something that someone else has. And so uh, what I'm trying to covet is whatever God has for me. Like, that's really yeah. what I want. I want to want I want to want what God has for me in terms of an abundant life, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you talk like that, Carmen, it just sort of, I've at least gone through a few seasons of my life where there is that kind of morning prayer of give me perspective. I appreciate the word perspective because mm-hmm. even before I hardly am sort of waking up in that fog between sleep and wakefulness, I'm already starting to spin. I'm already starting to feel a little bit anxious. I'm already starting to, to feel like, gosh, I don't know if there will be enough today of whatever enough is. And you can kind of wake up with that scarcity mentality. So to what does it mean to go to bed with perspective, to wake up with perspective and and to from that place, I think you're able to develop much more of a peaceful soul. I mean, I can think of those people that I've been around that that are peaceful. And you talk about the life of God. It does call into mind. I don't know what you guys think when you hear what is a relatively well-known passage of scripture from John 10, 
uh, verse 10, where Jesus says, I've come that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. And, and I will say for me, growing up, that has often gotten attached to wildly successful churches by financial and health metrics that are there. And there's still quite a few churches in our country that are sort of in that health and wealth, prosperity and gospel sense of it. And that the reason why Jesus came is that we could continue to grow in our wealth in those ways. And so if you're experiencing God's form of abundant life, you have the job that you want. You have the spouse that you've desired. You have the money that you need. You have some shiny toys that give you hope. <laughs> all, all these things along those lines. And and even in the economics of that kind of kingdom system, those who are trusting God are seen as having all of those things. And then you can, if you don't, you can maybe be encouraged to trust God for a little while. You know, just keep having faith, kind of work through it, and uh, and God will provide. But it, it really is kind of a wonky system. And it, it reminds me quickly of a story that, a family that we know where the mom had the dreaded word cancer breathed over her mm. at a pretty young age. And uh, they're part of a church that would have defined an abundant life as free from cancer. And so the church counselors uh, basically said to them, don't ever say the word cancer. Just don't even give it a foothold in your life. It's not what God wants for you. And if you can just sort of ignore it and and uh, not give it any sense of power in your your relationships, you should be fine. And the mom died. And uh, there is a four-year-old and an eight-year-old left behind who sort of the stigma was they must not have had enough faith. Otherwise, their mom would still be here. As mm. if God's abundance is that we're always healthy, that we always have the, as I said, the wealth and everything that we need. So I don't, I mean, I don't know what lands on you, Carmen, was sort of talk about this interesting, weird, I would dare I say twisted version of the gospel that really doesn't spiritual understand. Spiritual malpractice It is, is it is. I mean, right? Total this spiritual is not the abundant life. Yeah, say more. Yeah. Uh, I think there, there is a perspective um, on reality that acknowledges that we live in, we live a long way from Eden. Yeah. We, we live a long way from the way God intended things to be. Um, and cancer is one example of that. Um, my nephew, Larry, who is now 15, is a childhood cancer survivor. My cousin, Angie, had childhood cancer of the same kind mm. when she and I were both 14 and she died. Do I think that uh, God loves my sister and brother-in-law more than he loves my aunt and uncle? No, I don't think that's what this is about. And I don't think that that is uh, a measure of faith or faithfulness or God's. uh, I mean, first of all, we're not going to stand in judgment of God. We're just not going to do that. Um, God gives life. God takes life away. Cancer is a part of our fallen, broken reality as you know, as are lots of other diseases and um, uh, chromosomal disorders that people are born with. And I mean, the list is really long, right? The right. list of things that are a consequence of sin, that list is really, really long. The answer to all of that, um, the solution for all of that is all summed up in one name, in one God-man, in Jesus, in one act, um, in one gospel. And so the 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 sin um, is is real, and the consequences of sin are real. But getting cancer or is not is not something that God is subjecting people with. That's and and God's not only healing those who ask in the right way at the right time with some magic formula. Right. I, I just that. That's I see no scriptural support for that kind of approach to ministry. 
Yeah. I mean, now does this, uh, do you see this among some of your friends and peers, just the idea of the abundant life and what, it, what we're meant for is sort of all of this health and wealth and all of these sorts of metrics that we use? Oh, totally. I mean, if you aren't living a good life, then, and something's wrong. I mean, that's kind of just a core somehow it's, it, it's ingrained in that, that a good life is, is what is supposed to happen. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it comes down to uh, an argument over definitions. Like maybe most arguments in the world happen. Sure. Uh, but when we talk about abundant life, how yeah. do we define life? Do yeah, we define life question. by our material possession and our status? Or is the verse talking about life in a different way? And I think this ties back to what you're talking about earlier. Uh, how about people uh, living joyful lives in moments of intense scarcity? Yeah. Like their life quality may be better with in in this this redefined version of life with with peace and joy than than someone who's rich and has everything if their life's miserable. Yeah, I think you struck at the heart of it right there in the sense of what Jesus was actually inviting us into with that word life without getting too uh, greeky and and nerdy in terms of our exegesis here. It's 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 not abundant life in the sense that we have a lot from the, all of these metrics we've talked about. The word life there is used a bunch in the New Testament, and every time it's being used, it is a reference to this Greek word zoe, which simply means the kind of life that God himself enjoys. To kind of just boil down that definition, when Jesus is saying that I have come, that you would have life and have it abundantly, he's saying that I've come, that you would have the very kind of life that we enjoy in the Trinitarian Godhead and that you would have that abundantly and overflowing through who you are, a life of love and joy and peace to use the fruit of the spirit kinds of analogies. And, and I think you hit on it, Nat, that's the kind of thing when we talk about a peace that passes understanding in the midst of the cancer diagnosis, now we're talking about an abundant life. When we're talking about grieving, but not grieving as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about an abundant life. When we're talking about being able to somehow love those that hate you and your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now we're talking about an abundant life, meaning somehow from the inside out, you are radiating realities of God's kingdom that persist in the midst of all of the pain of this world. And that can overflow over time in your life. I mean, Carmen, I don't know. Again, these are not things that I've heard much growing up, but boy, it really sort of exploded when people began to redefine, as Nat said, some of these definitions. Yeah, I think I'm going to offer up um, uh, some verses from Philippians chapter four, where Paul is talking about um, learning to be content, whatever the circumstances, because I think Paul lived a very abundant life. And yet uh, he did not live a life that was circumstantially great (laughs) uh, by the world's, uh, you know, by the world's measures. I know what it is to be in need. Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I think that when we talk about the abundant life, we are talking about the Zoe. We are talking about real life um, lived with this perspective that is eternal and with this perspective that is redemptive and with this perspective that is that is the gospel. And, you know, related to that, I I think just that that sense of that word content, there really is a peacefulness that uh, is is what manifests in contentment and Something we can certainly get into, not just in, in our own lives, but I think we can move probably towards some of the headlines of the day and, and be able to apply some of these concepts to those. So thanks for everybody for listening to The Till. Yeah, we'll be right back. Okay. 
Okay, well, maybe in terms of headlines, I'll lead off with, um, it's kind of a, I don't have one headline related to this. I have a, a whole gaggle of headlines related to Kanye West. Okay. Um, so uh, several weeks ago now, um, he released a, a, a an album that was long awaited it was uh it was it came out also with a film that i'm not really going to call a movie cuz it was like a film event cuz it was short and it was kind of documentary-ish but not totally it was it was a film event okay both of these are called jesus is king you right right saw that and okay so that is i would say part of the spark which has now really become quite a quite a flame related to what I'll describe as Kanye West in some people's minds being uh, a little bit Billy Grahamish in terms of the number of people who are gathering to hear a proclamation of the gospel, to hear a redemptive word, to hear a call to Christ, to hear um, a call to repentance. Uh, and so one of the places where Kanye West Sunday service, the Sunday service has been going on now for a couple of years. I I learned about Kanye West Sunday service when it was featured at Coachella. Now, Coachella is not a, hey, let's get together around Jesus and sing praise music and listen to the word of God. It It is a, it's raunchy. Right. It's like a raunchy music event. Um, and Kanye West was like, mm, I'm taking my Sunday service down there. And so I started checking out, well, what is Sunday service and what's going on? Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people gathered together to hear the word of God and sing music that I might or might not on some days feel like is very worshipful, but I have a, maybe a different worship style than the people God is gathering into these venues. So the gospel is being proclaimed. Um, you might be familiar with Joel Osteen. That might be a name that's familiar to you. When we're talking about the prosperity gospel, when we're talking about a, um, a name it and claim it kind of approach to the faith, he would be somebody that I would lift up. Well, he invited Kanye West to have Sunday service at Lakewood Church this past weekend. Saw that. It was amazing. It was side by side. I saw some of the, the interviews going back and forth between them. Uh, the word repentance uh, strongly laid down mm. over and over again by Kanye West. Mm. Not a word that is frequently heard right. in Lakewood at the Lakewood Church. Um, now, what some people may not know, because there are people who um, they're just immediately sort of negative and naysayers about the whole thing. Like, God can't use a person like that. Let me tell you, God can use anybody. Mm -hmm. God can use a donkey if it comes to that. Like, right. God right. can use rocks. He's not, you know, this is nothing beyond God in terms of who he can use and who he might choose to redeem in order that his word might go forth to a new generation. So I don't want to be I don't want to be a skeptic. I want to be somebody who's like, let's be super hopeful that not only is this real, but that it gets traction and it's effective. So a couple of things, Peter, that have happened that I would say are evidence that God is in this movement or that God is on the move. So the American Bible Society uh, said early on, hey, we will send a Bible to the first 10,000 people who respond, or maybe it was a thousand. It was, it's, it was a relatively small number. Um, you know, people who are responding to the gospel through what Kanye West is doing, we'll send you a Bible. Just reach out to us and let us know. Well, they have like, totally blown that up wow. they got they got more than a hundred thousand requests from bibles from around the world wow. and they have answered the call for every single one of those requests so if people if the word of god is getting out there through kanye west and people are asking for more of the word of god and they are getting the bible and the bible is going to get in them there is something going on 
And I think, and I appreciate that because there's sort of this automatic negativity that can hit these kind of scenarios. There's, there's a skepticism and a cynicism when large crowds are gathering and sort of all the popular rage and the herd is running one direction. And, and I can understand that on some level. I think there's justifiable reasons sometimes to be cynical and skeptical. But to your point, there's a lot of cynicism and skepticism about the Billy Graham ministry when it first got started and when it took root. And, and some of that related to the idea that, well, great, they come to these huge conferences and, and these gatherings, but where's the follow-up? And and is this going to be a sustainable reality for people? But we're, we're talking now two generations removed maybe from the heart of Billy Graham's ministry. And I still know a number of people who that was their initial moment where they decided, yes, I will follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean it hasn't been difficult or maybe filled with seasons in people's lives or they've wondered or wandered a bit. But to your point, I think, Carmen, God is, I think, more willing than none should perish than we ever are. And I think he will reach people through a variety of means and mechanisms that uh, as the word is going forth like that, I don't know what the follow-up looks like. I don't know how sustainable this movement is. I don't know if this is some major fad. I don't even know that Kanye West could articulate what the end game is of, of something like this. But clearly, it's another example in the midst of a, of a culture where we're bemoaning the lack of church voice where we're bemoaning the lack of kingdom voice that is uh, popularized out there. This seems like, and again, I reserve the right of being wrong, but it seems like maybe we should at least consider erring on the side of celebrating that some people are entering into the kingdom through these ways. And this is how sometimes the word moves on to the next generation. I mean, Nat, I don't know, doesn't, I don't know how big it is among your peers. It seems like it's more of a young person's movement, but I don't know. I haven't seen much of it. Well, it's, it's an interesting event the the Sunday uh, cause, Sunday cause, service it's a Sunday yeah. service because yeah. it's not it's not really a church service and it's not claimed to be a church service there is a pre service right uh, but uh, but what's strange or what I guess I find interesting about it is is the the sort of exclusivity of it which to me doesn't really uh, feel like it aligns itself with the message necessarily. Is, there, is this like an invite only kind of event? Yeah. Oh, I didn't well, know it, that. It, it was originally, yeah. like, right? That's how this started. Right. Um, however, now that it's kind of like on the road and and he's doing it at churches by invitation across the country, um, I mean, obviously the event at Lakewood right. was everybody. Um, and, and because it's now what I would describe as popularized um, and because people now have expectations of the gospel being preached, it now is, it seems to be a a sort of a fully orbed thing. And there's an actual like pastor who preaches, which is hmm. not something that was uh, true right. of it in sort of its early iterations when it was really just Kanye West performing songs and there were prayers. Um, so here's what, here's part of what feels authentic to me. Um, in addition to the event at Lakewood on Friday, in an unannounced, totally secret deal, Kanye West took the Sunday service to the Harris County Jail and did two performances wow. for the mm. inmates at the Harris County Jail because he recognized they couldn't come. That that does give an authenticity, does it? To you know, right? This is mm-hmm. this isn't just gathering headlines and gathering followers at that point. If you're going into the anonymity of a prison situation like that, it, again, it, it does give a greater credibility and some authenticity to to reach into those places uh, because <laughs> there's more than a few people that have been part of ministries that I know of that would never go into those environments because it wouldn't serve mm-hmm. to further somehow the visibility of the ministry. Well, and I appreciate your your view on this, uh, looking at at the people who are getting reached and 
sort of looking at a perspective of what is coming out of all of this versus what is the environment that uh, this whole system is happening in. Because this wouldn't be, say, my first choice in starting a ministry of any sort. Right. But... uh, (laughs) And now I, I think you underestimate your both your musical ability, <laughs> your dancing charisma and your capacity to draw people in droves to want to see you entertain. I bet maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. He's underselling himself. Is he not, Carmen, at this point? I mean, I don't, yeah. I've never heard him rap, so I don't really know if he could be a Grammy award winning uh, rapper. <laughs> Nat, I can think of no reason why in the next episode of The Till that you do not open us in the show with some kind of rap. So in the week ahead, I fully expect at least a four stanza rap from you that maybe reflects on the nature of abundance. Uh, I would really appreciate that. Uh, well, we're, yeah, I'm not going to make you commit to that. I gotta, I'll, I'll back you here. I'm not going to make you. We're just trying to, to initiate these young people in the kingdom, Carmen. But you know, it is interesting when you think about it in terms of is this a young person's movement? Is there again? I use the Billy Graham example. I am not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that this is a Billy Graham movement. I mean, there is such an an integrity and a, and a obvious history with Billy Graham as an evangelist that gave rise to this where we don't really yet know about Kanye West and and so many of these levels, but it does seem to be reaching a lot of the young people from what I can tell. Yeah. I think, you know, this is a bit of a wait and see kind of a thing. I want to be, um, you know, I want to be a person who is, um, I'm, I'm seeking to not be critical first, right? I'm trying to set aside my, my ordinarily cynical that can't possibly, uh, work out. And instead, you know, say, well, Maybe this is the new thing God is doing. I don't know about you. I've been praying for revival. I've been praying yeah, for, right. um, you know, God to move in a new way in the United States of America. I have been praying um, for God to lift up a voice, someone um, through whom, you know, the, the gospel could be declared. I have I've actually prayed specifically in the past for people that were not Christians, but had like huge platforms. And I'm like, <laughs> God, convert them. Like that seems like a person yeah. that if you converted them, you could win lots of people. Tiger Woods was uh, on my hit list for a long time. Like I was praying, you know, very targeted prayers in his direction. Um, But, you know, God chooses whom God chooses and God does whatever God's going to do. And so if God's in this, uh, you know, I don't want to be against it. I want to be I want to be for it. Now, I recognize that there are going to be some accountability questions. There's going to be the question of who is discipling him. Um, He is a new believer. Let's not have expectations that he's going to have like some really squared away theology uh, anytime soon. Uh, there's there's some of us have been at this a really long time. We don't have a very squared away theology on some things. Um, and so, you know, in a culture where things happen very quickly, where everything is seen and where um, everything is repeated and people comment on it, you know, let's be generous, I think, toward uh, toward Kanye West um, and probably toward his wife, because that would be the other part of this conversation. If God has really gotten his heart and is transforming his heart, that's going to have an effect in their home. Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch it play itself out. I think you always discern things in God's kingdom by the fruit that are born. And so it's it's pretty tough to be overly critical or overly encouraging on the front end. It's it's, it's one of those things that you got to just see it work itself out. Can we should, uh, shift to another headline at this point, too? There's lots that's been going yeah, on in the news. Let's I know, do it, man. Uh, of course, and, and I noticed it. I was listening to your show the other day, Carmen, when you referenced the idea that the school shooting in California was obviously as tragic as any school shooting is going to be. And yet from the news aggregators, it only made number five on the list of sort of that daily news that there's other news ahead of people losing their lives again in schools. And it, and it's become sort of this normalized 
phenomenon that, I, I mean, how are we abundant people when this is, I mean, this is, wow, this couldn't be more of a scarcity situation in terms of fear, in terms of concern, in terms of wondering about the future. I mean, maybe Kanye West is, is an abundant thing. We'll see how the harvest goes from that place. But clearly these school shooting headlines that do continue to pop up, it's almost gotten to a point in our culture where it's been normalized a bit. How do, how do we, if we're going to be abundant kind of people in this world, how do we approach these kind of situations without just going numb about them? Because I find myself mostly numb, mostly sad, mostly, of course, mostly, yeah, that's going to happen. But increasingly, I'm numb. And I even think about the fact that we have to do shooter drills in school. I I grew up with tornado drills. I didn't grow up with uh, active shooter situation. And you just hope it doesn't ever come to that. This is a pretty difficult situation going on right now. Um, We now now have and have maybe for the past year or more, um, we have uniformed police officers at church. You're right. I've thought um, about that, by the way, Carmen. I thought when I have been speaking on a Sunday morning, I think it's the first time, it was about three years ago, it went through my head. I was like, there is no reason why in this congregation of a couple thousand people, there wouldn't be somebody that just decides that's it. And you're, you're fully exposed and fully visible, even though you have to think that way, that you would put an armed police officer in a church. But anyway, mm-hmm. continue. It's amazing where we are with it. I think that when we... Um, when we talk about violence, you know, we are back to the conversation that we were having um, in, in the first part of, uh, of today's till. Um, we are having a conversation about the reality of sin and how far we live from Eden, how far we live from the way God designed things to be. Um, and I, I think that in, in a culture where, you know, guns are easy to, easy to get your hands on um, and where not only mental illness but all kinds of depression and despair. Um, and I don't, you know, despair is not a mental illness, but despair makes people do some crazy things. Yeah, it does. And so um, I think that, I think we have to have some much more open conversations, particularly in the church. We tend to, um, you know, shove the mentally ill off to the side. We tend to not serve uh, families who are dealing at home with somebody who, um, you know, has a very difficult time socializing with other people. Church is a really social place. And it's a really um, socially engaging with a lot of social expectations at church in terms of the way individuals are going to behave, uh, contain themselves, interact, be okay with touch. I mean, we got a lot of stuff going on at church that that a person with any kind of um, spectrum disorder is going to be pretty uncomfortable right and so i mean just think i mean i know that i'm i'm conflating a lot of issues here i recognize that i recognize that all violence is not related to mental illness but i also recognize that a huge percentage of people who are incarcerated today are actually mentally ill like we don't know what to do um with people who are suffering in these ways in our culture and we need to recognize all of it all of it is a consequence of the fall it is, and it's sort of a unique expression of it going on these days. I'm always mindful and perhaps intrigued when statistics suddenly go out of whack from their historical norm. And so, for example, when the divorce rate in our country went from 6% historically, uh, and it was stable for generations and centuries and generations and centuries, all of a sudden it spiked to 55% in the 1970s, it causes you to at least reflect and ask the question, what just happened that would cause such a significant spike? And again, Nat, you've grown up in an era in which school shootings is just sort of 
part of the waters in which we swim. But Carmen and I in our generations, this wasn't even part of the equation. It would have never happened. I think Columbine, correct me if I'm wrong, Carmen, but was Columbine one of the first that was so traumatic? Was there one event before that? I just remember Columbine being such a major start to all of this. Don't you think that part of it is the reporting and the ability for us to know what's happening everywhere all the time? There probably were violent things that happened at schools, um, but not like this. Yeah, I mean, certainly Columbine is a marker uh, in in terms of current or recent U.S. history. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then you throw into that and stir into that pot. What other events might like? Why are people feeling such despair? Why are why do we have such a significant rise in mental illness? Like I I, th- I can think of one or two students in my junior high of four or five hundred students that would have articulated some measure of anxiety, depression, mental illness, something along these lines. But statistically, that has gone through the roof. And, and I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, we're finally recognizing what's always been there. I think there actually has been a meaningful rise in these phenomenons that, like you said, the news covers it. It becomes an option for people that are struggling increasingly so with despair and anxiety because once the option is out there, the possibility exists. Now you can have a temptation towards it. And once you have the temptation, now you can have the action. And so these copycat phenomenons, I mean, again, I don't know how many friends that you have, Nat, that are depressed and anxious or feeling a bit of despair or something, but I've, I saw it start going through the roof about 10 years ago in my classroom, I want to say. Well, last night as a room, we were just just hanging out and chatting, watching the last episode of a, of a show. And sort of through one of our mutual text groups, uh, we found out that uh, someone we had fairly close to had called the suicide hotline three times in the last week. Wow. And, and it sparked a chain of responses through these groups of people sort of in support, like, yeah, you'll make it through. Uh, you know, I've already, we've, we've called this you know, last month and like it, it's around. I mean, yeah. it lies slightly below the surface, but uh, we all sort of know it's there and just uh, sort of try to look slightly above it because... Hmm. We don't know how to handle it. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, what's the answer to this? I mean, there's probably not, I'm sure, a silver bullet answer, but are there pathways of solutions? Are there things that we've lost that we've forgotten we lost in terms of ways of life together that may have held us together more in the fabric of relationship that prevented this kind of, I I don't even remember what maybe has been lost uh, to even contrast that with what has been on the rise. I mean, Carmen, I don't know when we say those kind of words, can you think back what might have been lost that we need to rediscover? Number one would be peace, just a peace, just a peace, that peace that passes all understanding. If um, if you're not possessed of that peace and you're living in the chaos of this current you know, reality, um, why would you do anything other than despair? Yeah. I, I mean, if you if you live, if you're living apart from a knowledge of who you are and who God is. And therefore, you can be in a right relationship, not only with God, but you can be in your right mind. You can be in a right relationship with yourself. That's sophronos that is talked about in the New Testament, um, a, a right or a righteous mind. You know, only in that can I then turn and be in a right relationship with another person or with a community of people. And so I do think that peace is what is lost. And um, and maybe the second thing that is lost is our ability to speak truth into one another's lives where you know, I would love you enough and know you well enough to say you are believing lies. You are belie- If you are believing that you don't matter or that life is not worth living or that we would all be better off with, without you, you are believing lies. That's the liar 
Um, we talked about John 10, 10. I mean, you know, it, we're talking about a thief who comes to steal and kill yeah. and destroy. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Yep. That's the liar. And so if somebody is having those kinds of thoughts, they have let the liar into their mind. And, you know, and the solution is to invite Jesus to take every thought captive by the power of the Holy Spirit to dispel the liar um, and to claim the truth, which is that life is a gift. It's worth living. Um, Christ came that you might have it and have it abundantly and to the full. Um, the liar wants to steal and kill and destroy you. Mm. And boy, and I think about the role that people played in my life, grandparents and parents or, or friends alike that helped keep those just sort of surrounded by those voices. I know there's a book called sticky faith that came out that, that kids that hang onto their faith as they move into adolescence and young adulthood are those people that have voices around them. And Carmen, when you talk about peace and when you talk about the, these characteristics of recognizing the enemy's voice, for me growing up, I was surrounded by people who were also following Jesus that had more sod under their sandals as it were by a factor of 20, 30, 40 years and could really surround the journey as a young person that helped have other voices in my life besides voices of despair, besides voices shouting through my phone all day long. We didn't even have phones, of course, growing up, but but the voices that we listen to also have, I think, a dramatic effect on the peacefulness of the heart, of the peacefulness of the soul. So it's a, it certainly is a bigger conversation we can handle for this particular episode of The Till, but it, it does speak to this difference between abundance and scarcity. As we wrap up this episode, you two, I would be really curious uh, to hear... Um, sort of one thing during the season of life, uh, or maybe a couple, you can cheat, you can go to like two or three, uh, that you are grateful for, whether looking back at your life in the past or something in the present. I mean, Nat, let's start with you. One thing you're grateful for as we head to the Thanksgiving Day table this week. I'm I'm really actually grateful for uh, some of the people I've met in the last few years, some of the relationships Carmen I've gotten and me, to build. Right? That's pretty obvious. Much. Yep. You can just say our names. You don't have to be, you know, Peter okay and about Carmen, it. it's yep. amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That's much better. Keep going. I'm sure you well, have more. And what just... <laughs> You know, I moved here two years ago, so, uh, you know, I, I it started afresh. So having people uh, who who are willing to speak into my life and who are willing to listen and who I can conversely, you know, talk with, it it really, it, it makes life worth it. Mm. It's, it's, it's a lot about relational, a relational life uh, versus sort of metrics based on uh, on your status or who you are and that's very fair. I know for me, what I'm probably most grateful for is to the extent that Hallie and I have ever had uh, sort of had some discretionary funds to work with. We've tried to travel in life and uh, I'm so entirely grateful if I never set foot outside the state of Minnesota again, I would have seen more of the world than I ever would have guessed. And I'm so entirely grateful because I've had a sense that God is much bigger than the circumstances in which I find myself now that boy, is he, you know, we use these cliched phrases like he's on the move, but he is on the move. And I've seen it in so many different necks of the world. So I'm appreciative of that. Carmen, you want to wrap us up here? Sure. Um, I'll go the spiritual route. I am, uh, I am thankful for every spiritual blessing in Christ. Mm-hmm. So Ephesians one, three would be the verse I would commend to each of us on this uh, Thanksgiving week. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the till. 